Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, well, we're going to start our offseason here by doing an offensive review. Um, next week's episode will look very similar to this one. Uh, next week, we'll be doing a defensive review. So that's how we'll start the offseason uh, for this podcast. Um, like I said before, I don't know if I mentioned it, but going forward, episodes will be dropping consistent, consistently on Wednesday during the offseason. So up until August or so, uh, when we go back to two a week doing Tuesday, Thursday, um, the shows will just appear in the middle of the week on Wednesday. You can find those still the same places, Daily Norseman, iTunes, etc. Uh, I won't go through that now because you know I'm going to talk about that again later at the end of the episode. So, uh, so yeah, the game plan for today, we'll go through the offense. Also, there's been some coaching changes that I'm sure you guys have heard. Uh, so we'll go through one by one on these new names and uh, talk about them a little bit, talk about the little that we do know about a couple of these guys, and then obviously focus a little bit more on the guys that we do know, such as, you know, Andre Patterson, um, Adam Zimmer, etc. So that's the game plan for today's episode. I expect it's going to be a little bit shorter than usual, um, but every time I say that, it's not. So, uh, right. So that's uh, that's the the game plan for today. So let's just hop right into it and start with an offensive review for the 2019 season. So um, there's a lot of places that we can start here, but we consistently start with the quarterback position when we're doing game individual game reviews. Uh, so I think it kind of behooves us to start with Kirk Cousins um, and just the the changes that we saw to his game specifically uh, throughout the season. You know, we have a we have a lot of history of Kirk Cousins, the way that he was used in Washington, and then the difference between the way that John DeFilippo um, employed him when he during his short stint as offensive coordinator combined with um, the Kubfanski offense that the Vikings experienced this year, and moving forward it'll just mm-hmm. be Kubiak. Um, so let's start with Cousins and what kind of – what did you notice differently about – Let's not even get into that yet. Just as overall, from your perspective, how did you feel about Kirk Cousins' performance, you know, um, in a vacuum this season? It's what we expect from him. I mean, he's – here's the thing about Kirk is when things are – when he's set up well, you know, uh, he has a clean pocket or he, you know, isn't being uh, rushed heavily by the defensive pass rush. When um, 
he can comfortably set, you know, let loose and throw the football. It's always accurate. You know, that's never been the question with Kirk um, in terms of accuracy, a pure passing ability. He's up there with the best in the football or in the sport. Uh, so from that perspective, he was phenomenal. You know, the that stretch in the middle of the season where uh, it seemed like the Vikings were in a rhythm in terms of the play action bootleg, getting, getting him uh, uh, moving around and kind of, uh, you know, creating more room for him to throw the football versus sitting in the pocket when the offensive line is getting collapsed uh, in the pocket. But when he's able to move around and he has that space, he's on point all the time. And he was, especially in the middle of that middle stretch of that season. Um, you know, I think you can say what you want. The, the, the obviously the the downfall then is his performance in those NFC North games, especially especially Chicago and Green Bay. Um, those two teams seem to kind of know what to do against Kirk Cousins this season in terms of, you know, getting after him, uh, containing that pocket and not letting him uh, get into a rhythm in those games. And so th- that's sort of the next step that he would have to take if he's able to, like, if if I was going to sit here and just kind of lay out a, you know, an outline for what Kirk needs to do to take the Vikings to that next level, I think the sim- the, the fact of the matter is he needs to, be able to improvise more, be able to make plays more when the offensive line is imperfect, when um, and the, when the game is on the line and there's just the quarterback has to make a play. You see Mahomes do it all the time. You see Wilson do it all the time. You see uh, Aaron Rodgers do it all the time. You see the guys that went and made deep playoff runs. They do this stuff all the time. And that's, I think, the one thing Kirk would be lacking that could take the Vikings to the next level. But overall, Kirk Cousins kind of played as you would expect, ex- extremely accurate. You know, once in a while, when pressured, a couple of questionable decisions that ultimately cost the Vikings uh, maybe a win or two this year. Absolutely. So, statistically speaking, you know, looking at the the old school stats that um, aren't necessarily as much fun as these new age analytics and all of that. But if you look at these volume numbers, uh, thirty six hundred and three yards for Cousins, twenty six touchdowns, six interceptions. That's a five point nine percent touchdown percentage. Um, you've also got a yards per attempt at 8.1, which is exceptional, especially relative to what we have come to expect from the quarterback position in Minnesota, um, at least over the not the last decade, um, not including Brett Favre's one you know unbelievable year. Uh, he has a quarterback rating of 107.4, a QBR of 59.8. He only took 28 sacks this year, which sounds may sound like a lot because that still is ultimately close to two sacks per game, but. We were, we were getting used to 40s, you know, mm-hmm. that number being consistently higher. So that speaks volumes not to just the improvement of Cousins, but also the offense itself under Kubiak and Stefanski and the way that they were employing their quarterback and their playmakers in order to sort of put them in a position where you could get the ball off despite a still pretty average offensive line. Um, I think the big thing with Cousins is that last stat, the stat that is, you know, I guess it's kind of meaningless, but I do think it's a lot of fun, that fourth quarter comeback, game-winning drive stat. Um, he gets his first one in Minnesota. <clears throat> Only one, but he also gets the one in New Orleans as well, so technically two. Uh, but for the regular season, he gets that one number, which is it, it's important because we were able to see it. And, you know, if you want to go back to and listen to that Denver Broncos episode that we went through um, – it is just simply very important just to have that under his belt and for us as fans to, you know, if we're going to trust this guy at least for one more year, and it certainly seems like he's going to get a contract extension. I mean, I think it would certainly behoove the Vikings to um, look in that direction this offseason. But uh, we, need to, we needed to see that in order to feel comfortable with the guy moving forward. But ultimately, 
those stats translated to the eighth highest points in the NFL this season at 25.4, which is interesting considering that the passing offense, well, and really the total offensive yards in total was pedestrian. In the middle of the pack, I believe it's like 15, like literally right smack dab in the middle. And in terms of yards per attempt passing, uh, that number drops significantly to, you know, close to the 20s. So what makes this interesting is that the Vikings offense was able to get points, a lot of them, you know, top 10 in the league, despite the fact that they basically weren't churning up yards at an elite rate, at least relative to the NFL this season. Well, it's that starts with the way the offense is constructed. They ran the ball a ton. That was the Mike Zimmer blueprint, early, especially early on in the season. Medellin Cook was that effective, and he was getting 25, 30 carries a game. That's going to take away from the passing game, and um, and it's not that's not a knock on Kirk. I, these numbers don't tell mean to me. I'm not interpreting them as you know Kirk wasn't as efficient or Kirk wasn't as explosive. Whatever it was, he I think he was significantly better this year than last year. Uh, I think it, I think it's just those you know it, it seems like there's just there's good games with Kirk and there's just duds there. And this year there was probably three duds, right? I think both Packers games, probably the Bears game early on. Yep, yep. Uh, those are probably the three games that I think of in my mind there might be a couple more you could you could refer to there but um it's just like i I think there was a lot more of those games in 2018 and so at least from that's a positive for me is that he's eliminating those games but to your point you mentioned the contract extension thing um i kind of want to get your explanation as to why you know it, it may or may not behoove the vikings to extend now versus like waiting after 2020 because i'm still of the belief like let this play out in 2020 maybe draft the guy mid rounds in the draft whatever you want to do but um it's just, i i'm not completely in on kirk you know for more than 2020 well so i think you can look at this a couple of different ways first and foremost you made the postseason this year you won a playoff game that's better than they did last year so you're seeing improvement year to year that's ultimately what you want to see from your quarterback yeah. if you're getting that uh, that in itself, to me, is something that his agent is going to look at. He's going to point to and say, okay, this has happened. We've been here for two years now. We've seen improvement both statistically and in the win column and in the postseason win column. Those are three reasons right there that the agent's going to point to. And, I mean, as someone who has experience you know, providing statistics to an agent before, you know that they love to point to those small little pieces of information that might you know, yeah. ultimately translate into dollars. And so I think that regardless of the fact that the Vikings have not made it back to the NFC Championship since 2017, they, Kirk has accumulated a lot of pieces of information that ultimately your, his agent can point to and say, this guy is the right guy to lead your franchise. Now, that's part one. So to me, he's fulfilled his job to an extent. Now, he's like, he's at like the... If you're going to look at it percentage-wise, he's done like 85% of what the Vikings have wanted him to do. Made the postseason, won a postseason game on the road. Those are two big pieces. Won a couple big games during the regular season. Led this team to being, you know, a top efficiency offense. All those things bode well for him. The second piece of this puzzle now is determining if he, you know, he's 31 years old, right? So that's going to that's gonna get some blowback right there. The fact that, you know, can the Vikings be even better? Can Gary Kubiak look at this offense and say, oh, I can do this with Jacob Eason, for example, who is probably, you know, Joe Burrow's out of the question, Tua's out of the question. Uh, you're, you're looking at, like, Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason, basically, from my very low knowledge of understanding of the draft quarterbacks, this, prospects this year. So those are your options. 
Now, let's say you do go in that direction and you decide you're going to take Jacob Eason at, you know, what, 26 or wherever the Vikings are drafting. Okay. Is he NFL ready? Is he ready to do a 16-game slate next season? I think the answer to that, you know, again, very limited knowledge of draft prospects, particularly the quarterback that I'm talking about right right now. But chances are probably not. You trust Kirk to start all 16 games next year. Mm -hmm. And you have this guy in your back pocket in case he gets hurt. And just honestly, you need to upgrade the quarterback position because Sean Manning can't return next season. That just can't happen. Uh, so that's what yeah. you're those – are, those are your points right now, okay? This is what you're looking at. This is what you're fighting in order to determine whether or not you should give him a new contract or not. And ultimately, all those signs to me point to, you know, you make a good point that next year is going to answer a lot more of these questions. And you do have the option to change that next year. But I think the the biggest and most critical piece right now is that if you restructure his contract, you could potentially open up cap room. And mm-hmm. that's something that you might need to get him over the hump to get this whole team over the over the hump. And if you restructure that contract, I know I've seen people say this that you know his his contract is fully guaranteed, there's nothing you can do about it. Guys, there's something you can do about it. It's it's called a restructure. It happens literally every offseason the Vikings do it like two or three times. You just take that money and you spread it around somewhere else. That's the simplest way to put it. You can do that. And so if you want to make sure that Kirk Cousins is going to be better, restructure his contract. And this extension, by the way, it doesn't need to be a seven-year extension. This is doesn't need to be like a Russell Wilson-type deal. This could be like a two-year, $60 million contract where you spread out some of that guarantees and give the Vikings, you know, give Kirk a little bit more money up front, which they always like to have take something off the back end where it's like if you start to you know falter towards the back end of your Vikings career, we can get out from underneath it. A win for both sides. So to me, if you believe in this offense, what we saw this year, if you think that they can bring that back next year and then, in theory, bring it back another year, it's time to extend it because this is when he's going to be at his lowest possible price, honestly. But if you don't think he's any good, if you're on the side that doesn't believe that Kirk Cousins is good, that everything that we're going you know, to pr- proceed to talk about with him in this offense is, you know, trash, then, I mean, you're probably of the opinion that we should not resign him. But then I ask you, who do you want? Because Trevor well, that's, Lawrence that's, is basically that's out of the, the question. Thing. That's, the, that's the the argument here. So, like, if you're – it's I think – now, I'm not trying to say I'm of this opinion because I, I do think Kirk – like, I think you can win with Kirk. That's where I, I stand in the, in the opinion that, you know, we see teams in the NFL all the time win – and go on deep playoff runs with quarterbacks at the level of Kirk or worse. The 49ers are in the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Nick right. Foles won a right. Super Bowl. Uh, you know, you look farther back. I mean, Matt, Matt Ryan was exceptional in 2016, but outside of that, you know, that's kind of the one season he's really had when everything was perfect. And he had Kyle Shanahan helping him out. Um, and then you can go back, obviously Flacco and Eli Manning are examples. Like these are guys, you know, and they had tremendous defenses. They had weapons. And so, Kirk Cousins can win a Super Bowl, and I do think this te- this uh, roster has the talent to make some sort of run like that. But the 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 counterpoint that I keep receiving on that is, well, is that the percentage play that you want to go with, or would you rather kind of you know eject from Kirk and sort of start over and and kind of take your shots trying to find that franchise guy? Um, and even though you're probably going to swing and miss a few times when you try to draft that franchise guy, because drafting quarterbacks is exceptionally difficult, and it's rare to get your Patrick Mahomes, it's rare to get your Deshaun Watson, it's rare to get those guys. So uh, th- th- that's the 
there's a lot, there's a huge section of the Vikings fandom to me that I've noticed just by my Twitter interactions that thinks, all right, you get rid of Kirk now and you just try and draft your guy. And then after three years, you kind of see where he's at. And if you don't like him, you draft another guy that could be your franchise guy. You just keep trying until you find that Russell Wilson, you find that Aaron Rodgers, you find that guy that could be the 10 plus year guy. So, or you can do what I think the Vikings should do. And I think it's the best for right now is kind of, keep Kirk when you have this talent it's still kind of I mean it's not at its peak but it's still I think winnable and can reach the playoffs with in terms of the defense in terms of Diggs and Thielen um, and you maybe see if you can get hot in the playoffs with a quarterback that might not be top 10 top 5 in the league but he has the passing ability to go on a hot streak so okay so all, all of these things considered right you can form an opinion and your opinion is your own but ultimately what, what I, I think is the most pertinent piece of information here, and this might sound a little strange, but it's the age of the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Yeah. yeah. Mike, Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak are two guys who are not looking to reset. So when I say that I think a Kirk Cousins contract is co- extension is coming, I don't necessarily believe that's the best route because I, I tend to be with you that you should let him play it out and see where you're at after next season. Because I think that makes the most sense, you know. I think that makes the most sense for 2020. Right. See, after that, I think is when you, you know, you decide how things go 2020, where the team's at, and then you make that decision. Right. right. So that makes the most sense on paper. But when you're looking at the situation of the Vikings head coach and now their offensive coordinator, so Kubiak retired initially from a head coach. He didn't get fired in Denver. He retired because of health issues. He came back to Minnesota as basically what we thought was just going to be a glorified assistant. Then we come and find out that, you know, he's actually way more involved in the offense and apparently the health issues have at least subsided. But you have to take that into account moving forward here. He's not going to be around the NFL for that much longer. I think Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak are looking at this as a Super Bowl window. And, you know, a couple years ago... Oh, they have to be. They have to be, right? But I, I think a couple years ago we would have agreed with them, whereas now it's a little bit... A little bit more well, obscure. Plus, I mean, you're talking. I mean, Mike Zimmer's been around for you know since 2014. This is kind of a long coaching tenure now. Right. I mean, this is a lot longer than most coaches get. Right. And you know, seven to nine in 2014, which is that's for their, your first year. You're kind of rebuilding. That's understandable. That was, good. that was a good year. You get the big year in 2015. 2016, I give him a pass just because of the 14 eye surgeries and the offensive line injuries, whatever it was. Yep. Um, 2017, you obviously way overachieve. Yep. And then the last two years and. I mean, you get the playoff win in New Orleans, but if you're looking at regular season wins, divisional performance, like all that, the last two years have been pretty much a disappointment. Yes. Would you say? Obviously I would agree. Saints, yeah, yeah. Saints win kind of just, I mean, even that, things out. This we season. went over that last episode that that yeah. Saints win just changed the trajectory completely yeah. because, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, it's, it's like, you know, not that Zimmer's job's in jeopardy. It's definitely not. But if the Vikings were to have a 2018 again where they go eight and eight or eight and seven or don't, you know, make the playoffs, whatever um, it, it, you start talking about, maybe you just, it's time for a refresh. You know, maybe you go with the offensive head coach approach that seems to be working with so many teams in the NFL, something like that, where, um, and at that point, if they don't make the playoffs in 20, in 2020, they finish eight and eight or something. And Kirk was, you know, kind of as he has been, didn't take a huge step. That, to me, seems to make the most sense where, okay, you reset, you get a new head coach, an offensive-minded guy, you try to draft your franchise quarterback, and hopefully that duo of that quarterback and and new head coach, new offensive guy, 
can kind of be your duo for the future, like right. Mahomes and Reed, like you know so many other guys, um, like the McVay and Goff that um, appear to be working before this year, I guess. But right. um, so that's that's my approach. Is you know, like you said, these coaches are not. I mean, you're certainly not going to you know tank and try and restart this off. This is not the group to tank and reset with. That's not happening, period. You got the Zimmers on defense. You got the Kubiaks on offense. They're trying to do this in 2020. They're going to try and maximize the roster that they have right now in 2020, try to win. And then if they don't, or if it goes poorly and they don't even make the playoffs, I think that's when you'll see a full reset. Because, like we, I mean, we've heard so many times the the ownership, especially from the Vikings, is all about stability at quarterback. Kirk has provided that in two years, to his credit. So we haven't seen any of the drama, nothing like that. It's just been Kirk. We know what we're going to get from him for the most part. You know, he hasn't strayed from who he is. He's been the guy. And that's something that is refreshing for us Vikings fans. Um, Now it's just, I think this is really a critical year for his future in Minnesota. Because if they don't make the playoffs, they struggle. I think that will impact not his job only, but I think Zimmer, potentially Rick Spielman, like, they could be a They're going to clean the entire house. It could be a complete overhaul in 2020 if things are – or after 2020 if things are disappointing. If Zimmer's gone, you know that Kubiak's gone too, you know? And right. that probably means that their sons are, you know, theoretically yeah. gone as well. And I imagine that probably Andre Patterson would be gone too. We can get back – and we can get into the coaching thoughts and, you know, a little bit later in this episode. To get back to what we're doing here, reviewing this offense, let me ask you this question then. If Kirk Cousins replicates the same performance – Next year, I'm talking the same type of thing, like losing a couple games to Green Bay, yeah. you know, splitting or winning in Detroit, but splitting or lo- splitting slash losing, whatever you want to call what happened in Chicago this year because it was Manny that started the game. Um, you get the same type of performance against divisional rivals, and you get you get back to the playoffs. We'll say ten and six, eleven and five, same type of thing. Statistics look the same, um, efficiency numbers look the same, everything looks the same from Kirk. Then is he worthy of an extension again, or is that? The I situation think, where you decide, okay, this is yeah. we're in the pinnacle of mediocrity right now, and we're going to reset as opposed to try to push over that hill as we have been the last couple of years. I think, I mean, again, this is all it requires context, you know. Um, sure. But I think, in, I mean, if you make it to the divisional round, you win a playoff game. I guess if you win a playoff game, um, if the Vikings win a playoff game, and Kirk is a crucial factor of that, like he doesn't have right. one of those terrible performances that ends up getting a win. Um, you know, if he's a crucial factor in getting a playoff win, they would win, you know, 11, 12 games. That, to me, deserves an extension. Um, and again, that's again, that's going to be. So he set that, the bar this year, essentially. Yeah, that's, that's requiring. Con- yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say so. That's kind of that's the bare minimum to me. That what he did this year is the bare minimum to deserve an extension, and that requires the team to win as well around him. Which it sounds like, and we're going to get into this as well. Maybe this episode will also future episodes about the cap situation and how the Vikings are going to probably lose some guys, but um, they, it requires him to not only play the same way in terms of his own individual performance, but the part of being the quarterback is that the, you've, the responsibility of winning and losing, a lot of it falls on you. It's just, Especially with Kirk. how it is. Especially That's with just Kirk. how, well, yeah, and he knows that more than, <laughs> than anybody, but you got to win 10 to 12 games probably, uh, and win a playoff game, and then I think he gets that extension because then I think I will have certainly an, an additional faith in Zimmer and Kubiak and, and this roster that's still there to keep winning games. Okay, so overall, the breakdown of Kirk Cousins is that this is would you would you say that this was his best best year as a quarterback in the NFL? 
This is yeah, now the expect- so. this is now Close. the expectation. Okay. Certainly that or probably 2016, one of the two. Okay, so we've we've established that this is you know, arguably his best year. I think that, I'm sure there are some of you guys out there that disagree, but for the most part, I think that most people are on on par with the idea that this is his best year statistically, team performance, all those little factors that you just brought together. My question to you then to wrap up kind of the passing section of this review is can he can he do this again? Do you expect him to do this again? And even further, do you think that he can be even better now that you're working specifically with Kubiak? You've got that continuity on offense, which I'm sure we'll mention multiple more times throughout this episode. Um, you finally get that consistency, something that the Vikings have not had at this position in quite some time, uh, and you're heading into a third year. Do you expect the numbers to go up, down, stay the same? What's your take on that? I mean, I think the numbers will stay roughly the same, but I think it – he needs to be better against Green Bay and Chicago. That's what that needs to happen. If you you can't expect those divisional games to go the way they did this year and you know sneak into the playoffs, win a game, all of that. You need to do better uh, than two and four in the division. It's ultimately what it right. comes down to. Yes, and, okay, yes. so do you think that Kirk will perform better within the division next season? Just I part of me thinks yes because I've never like he, I don't think he's played two worse games or any worse games than he did against Green Bay this year. Both those, I've never seen Kirk Cousins. I've watched him in Washington. i watched him in Minnesota. Those are the, the two worst games he's ever played in, right. in his NFL career. So, so I don't really know. all you can go with is all you play all... better. They almost beat the Packers the first time. So just play better than that, and they can win at least one of those Packers games and probably win a Bears game. That's all it takes. So I'm going to just say yes, based on that fact, it was so bad this year in those games. Kirk is really just a weird – and honestly, the offense as a whole is just very weird because it's so tied to – you know, based off of this season, it's so tied to those games, and it's really hard to evaluate yeah. them as a whole when you look at those two – like if you took this as a pie chart, right, and you took all 16 games as a pie chart and in terms of how important they are, that like slate of six NFC North games – and granted the Vikings did their job against Detroit, so we can really just drop it down to those four. That slate of four games – like represents like 60% of the pie chart in terms of importance to this season yeah. specifically. Like, you know, with hindsight bias, looking back, those four games, well, really three because week 17 didn't matter, but it would have mattered had yeah. they won at Green Bay one time. If you take care of business at Lambeau and they don't give up a 21-point lead right away and they win that game and then Kirk doesn't again have the worst game I've ever seen yep. from a quarterback in week 16 on Monday night. Win those two games, and then you take care of the Bears. You're talking about probably a first-round bye. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the Packers. So they were that the, close. The frauds that they are, the Packers not getting that far into the playoffs. And, I mean, they only won a playoff game because they played the absolutely depleted Seahawks team at home. So that changes everything. Uh, and if you – again, you're right about how the value of those division games can matter a ton – you know, when you look at the landscape of the NFL, because those division games, you flip those, Vikings are in a great spot, and hey, maybe they're still playing. And and ultimately, to me, I mean, that's really, when you come to the end of this review of this offense, and granted, this was not a very comprehensive statistical review, we did not look at all these analytics and PFF numbers, like I figure you guys can probably do that on your own time if you're that interested, you don't need, me, need to hear me regurgitate them, but when you come to the end of all of this, ultimately, you look at those games, and really, that, that's the difference here between a good and a great year for Kirk. Yeah, it is. And, and as unfair as that is, I mean, the only way that Kirk gets better next year is that he does exactly what he did against non-divisional opponents and then changes the landscape of our viewpoint of him playing against NFC North teams next year, which it sounds very simple, 
right? And you think that with you know Kubiak and Stefan, or excuse me, Kubiak and Zimmer working together and reviewing those specific games, that they can come out with a better game plan next year. I would say that's still trending up. That's kind of where I stand with the now. With, you know, the one more the question offense. for you on the uh, Kirk thing before we kind of move on to the rest of the offense. Um, are you concerned, or do you have any um, hesitations, reservations, whatever you want to call them, about Kirk? In the big moment, prime time, any of that, or are you kind of over I, that? You're I think I'm over that. it. I think I am. You know, um, okay. you look. I, I'm gonna. I'll point to. I'll point to the the Dallas game because that was when it first. That was when it started for me, yep. where I was like, okay, big moment on the road, Jerry's world. You know, everything's working against you. Dallas is still a really good team, by the way. I know their record didn't turn out that way, but they're still a really good team. So that's where it started. That's where I was like, okay, maybe. And then, you know, you see the progression, and granted, there was the, the pitfall with the Green Bay game, which, you know, was a huge disappointment, mainly because I paid, like, 250 bucks for those seats, but <laughs> that's beside the point. You, then you get to New Orleans, and it goes immediately from a kind of a huge pit, where, like, everyone's like, okay, get rid of Kirk, to he turns up in the biggest possible moment against the team that, if you're not going to beat Green Bay, one way to please the Vikings fan, beat the Saints and make it hurt. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. So to me, yeah, I think I am kind of over that part of like that, you know, that narrative that is like that the national media likes to push specifically and, you know, some grumpy Vikings fans as well. But ultimately, yeah, I think I I mean, are you I I think I saw enough last year. Yeah, it's like, okay, so I'm still kind of hesitant about it. I still have concerns going into a game and uh, that like my my expectation going into a noon game on Sunday it's different for Kirk <laughs> than it is on Monday night against anybody. Uh, but I will say, I think pro football focus had written, uh, I can't remember who wrote the article, but it was from pro football focus. It was right before the 49ers game. They um, kind of exp- went into the, the numbers and, and, you know, compared Kirk and the big spot versus Kirk on a standard Sunday afternoon. And the numbers are extremely similar in terms of the efficiency like your touchdown interception ratio, your passer rating, your yards per attempt, your accuracy percentage, all that. It's all very much the same. And he plays kind of the same way. But I saw that the big number was that the defensive points allowed was a seven-point difference from So that maybe it's on the Vikings team. defense so, then. So, and I think, you know, it, it's a little unfair that, you know, the Vikings defense, not that, and I haven't looked at this in depth or anything, but like in the primetime performance you know, this has been a thing under Zimmer, I think, a lot, like a while. Like the primetime games and the big, big spot, the game plan does tend to get away from Zimmer sometimes, with the exception of that Saints game. It, it, we need to look at this as not a Kirk thing, but a Vikings thing, I think. So I'm not that worried about it. Um, it, it obviously, obviously, I think it's still, it's going to come into my, my mind next year when the Vikings play their first primetime game. It's going to happen. It's going to come in my it's mind. It's more humorous at this point than. But anything. yeah, it's more of like a troll, like myself trolling me. I don't know. <laughs> like, no, that's like, that is that's kind of how it is. It's like you go into a Monday night game and you're making the joke to yourself, and then when it happens, you're like, oh, it reinforces the joke. Yeah, because like I'm never gonna like. It's not. A, I don't have a thing with Kirk about like him, his arm talent suddenly like disappearing in the big moment. You know, right. like I think he's certainly proved that wrong over and over, especially that Saints throw against the and like that was right there. You, there's ice water in your veins if you make that throw. So uh, it's just, I think, I think regardless of the game, I just think 
there's a certain thing about him where he, if he gets rattled early on, the pressure gets to him in the first couple drives. I think that's when he's done, and that happened in the both Packers games and the Bears game this year. And if he can avoid that, especially in the division games next year, I think the Vikings will be fine. I think they'll have a chance to win the division, potentially a playoff game. All right, excellent. All right, so let's move on from Kirk. Let's talk about the rest of this offense here. I'll start with the running back group. Um, overall, kind of a surprising year as a whole for different reasons for each of these three guys that contributed. Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, and Mike Boone. We'll focus on those guys um, simply because C.J. Ham. Uh, there's not a whole lot I can say other than he blocked extremely well and he was exceptional. Yeah, and that's the reason why he's in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, uh, But you guys know that. I don't need to regurgitate that information to you. So Dalvin Cook. You get 14 games, you know, on paper. I granted it's more like 12 when you actually look back at the amount of quarters that he missed. Um, but you get 250 carries from Dalvin Cook, which is a new career high for him. Obviously, given the amount of time he's missed in the past, 1135 yards, another career high. 13 touchdowns, close to tops in the NFC, NFC in rushing. Um, you also get 53 receptions from Dalvin Cook, which I know that you said at the beginning of the year is a bold. I said take, 100, but still, 53 is pretty. <laughs> Like, that's nice. 519 receiving yards, no receiving touchdowns this year for Delvin Cook. But as a whole, when he was on the field, he was the most dynamic playmaker the Vikings have had in the backfield since Adrian Peterson. And you can make an argument that he was as good as some of those Adrian Peterson seasons. He definitely gave us a feel, you know, that explosion that you well, – I mean, he didn't – he had the explosive factor that kind of – that Adrian Peterson thing where it's like if you hand the ball off to him, you know that he could go all the way. I yeah. thought that Delvin Cook was like that all season long. Yeah. And yeah. so he fulfilled his obligations extremely well, and really we all believed that he could. There's no, there's not one of us in Vikings territory, to my knowledge, that didn't believe that if Dalvin Cook could stay healthy for you know the majority of the season, that he could produce this type of output. And if he was able to get to 16 games, I mean the numbers would be even better. We'd be looking at all pro stat numbers, you know. And if Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry didn't have the years that they did, I mean Dalvin Cook is right in the running as is. So you look at his overall performance. Let's go, you know. Things that stood out to you about Dalvin Cook and then also things that kind of detracted from his overall season in your view. Well, I think the only thing is health. Uh, I mean, he's an absolute stud with the ball in his hands. There's no doubt about it. He can catch the ball. He can run between the tackles and obviously the outside zone stuff. He just he's uh, almost unstoppable there. So right. I, I with running back position, um, he's certainly one of the top five probably in the NFL. Um, and, you know, obviously the whole running back contract extension thing we'll probably talk about in the future, but I think it's nice also that you have another guy behind him in Alexander Madison who doesn't have the speed or maybe the quickness, but certainly runs as harder, maybe even harder uh, than Dalvin Cook, which is a really nice uh, you know change of pace there and gives the Vikings a nice option um, in the event that um, you know Dalvin's injured or something. I like Madison a lot. I think he was really the that's the big takeaway for me this year in terms of running backs. I knew Dalvin Cook was. A stud yeah, right. with the ball. Right. If he would stay healthy, he could produce like this. I think we all, we, you know, Vikings fans knew that, um, but I didn't know anything about this Madison dude, and I did, honestly didn't like the draft pick right away. I didn't either. Um, and, so, and for some, you know, in some cases, you know, you look at it and how high he was drafted, don't love it, but I think it's turning out to be pretty nice because he, I just love how hard he runs, and he is pretty efficient as well. Absolutely. The one thing that I will say about Dalvin Cook's game, and granted, um, this was something that he probably, to a degree, couldn't even control, but his fumbles were a little bit higher than I would like him to be at this year. Sure. Fumbled four times. Granted, I believe two of them happened, like, in the process of being injured. So you can't, like, you know, you can say hold on to the damn ball, but you're kind of just being, like, 
you're kind of being an ignorant and sort of rude fan. I think fan one or two of those that. happened just like as he got hurt. He kind of like it happened the ball. twice this year. Yeah. One yeah, of them so. was the shoulder, and then one of them was the injury where everyone got hurt on the play. The, <laughs> the digs, you know? uh, right? The most Vikings moment of the year. Exactly. Yeah. So four fumbles for Dalvin Cook. You'd like to see him minimize it, and you know that that's on his mind too because I remember he had a press conference specifically sta- like not even he wasn't it was unprompted and he specifically stated I got to hold on to the ball better. So that's one gripe. That's like really the one gripe that I have about his game, the, his actual game this year. The other is just endurance again and his ability to you know stay healthy. This is the same issue that we had with Diggs coming into this year, honestly. You know, you remember last year when we were talking about or yeah, it, it might have been 2 years ago, you know, you always expect him to miss one or two games. And Diggs for what it's worth and we'll get to this, he did play um, I believe all 16 games, except for no, he played 15 games. Okay, so if Dalvin Cook can find a way to stay healthy for 16 full games, and this is a big ask, but he's going to be the number one running back in the NFL. He, he will straight up like that's how it, that's how it is set up to be. If he can, especially stay if he's in the Kubiak 16. zone running situation, like that plays that's, his strengths quite well. So. That's going to work out. Absolutely. So you look at that, and then you brought up Madison. Madison finishes with 100 carries on the dot, 462 and a touchdown, which is a hell of a season for a backup rookie running back. He actually made mm-hmm. a lot of the starting the running backs that took over starting jobs um, over the course of the 2019 season. He actually made a lot of them look you know, pedestrian compared to him. When he touched the ball, he was outstanding. And then you've got Mike Boone here, who is – a little bit of an interesting case because he has the one game against San Diego where seem- seemingly everything was going right in Minnesota, and he play- performed very well. He had three touchdowns and, you know, looked absolutely outstanding front to back when he, whenever he had the ball in his hands. And then you have the Green Bay game, which he started, when everything went wrong for Minnesota offensively. And so you don't really have a good sample of what Mike Boone really is. But when he's on the field, he showed the ability in my opinion, he showed the capacity to, at the very least, be a serviceable backup running back slash spot starter. That's what I saw from him in two, in basically two performances. Yeah. So right, well, he he's also just run super hard. Like he's right. kind of a they. He and Madison have that same attitude where they're just gonna they're gonna finish the run. They're gonna they're gonna hit you at the end of the play. Uh, Boone's just a little bit in a smaller frame and a little bit quicker versus, versus Madison's kind of got the bigger size. Right, maybe not as quick, but. Uh, I, I do like that trio altogether. Um, you got Cook, and you got Madison, you got Boone. They're all, um, you know, I I trust all of them with the football. Does and, it stay uh, the same for next year? It, I think it should. Okay. I think it should. All right. Uh, and I, I like. I also really like Boone on special teams too. I'm with you on all of those all of those things that you just said. I agree with them. So overall, the rushing performance this season, uh, it it met it met my wildest expectations. The expectations where I thought that Dalvin Cook, if he could stay healthy. You know, coming into this year, I didn't see 14 games from Dalvin Cook just because, let's be real here, we haven't seen that yet from him. So just to get 14 games from him, you know, it's just another stepping stone. Um, and to me, you know, I hope he doesn't hold out because I think that could really screw up a lot of the, you know, the good that the Vikings have going right now, especially at that position. Uh, but if he if he does hold out, he has he has largely earned the right to do so based off of really just one year and then flashes the previous two. So we'll see what happens there. But as a whole, the running back group, I think, exceeded expectations for the most part, which brings us to the wide receiver group, which it's an interesting performance as a unit for this group. So you look at Stephon Diggs, 94 targets, 63 receptions, 1130 for yards, six touchdowns. 
Then you've got Adam Thielen, who missed plenty of time this year, unexpected first time in his career. 48 targets, 30 receptions, 6 touchdowns. Then you've got Ola B.C. Johnson, who comes in as a rookie, and I think a lot of us were expecting absolutely nothing out of. You get 45, 31, 294, and 3. And then you've got Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, 48, 39, 367, and 6 for Rudolph. 47, 36, 311, and 2 for Irv Smith. By the way, I didn't even notice that. He only had one less target than Kyle Rudolph over the course of this year. So the way that the Vikings were using their tight ends, it out. You know, uh, it, it's interesting, and that will be an interesting number to look at moving forward on how they spread out those targets in Irv's second year. And then you also got Laquan Treadwell, who contributed his best season to the Vikings in his Vikings career uh, with nine receptions, 184, and a touchdown. Thanks, that's to that. es- Thanks to that broken coverage against yeah. Seattle. Yes, <laughs> and that essentially is what we're looking at for this receiving group. So you got – it looks – it looks weird because I think that this group was better than the, than you know the volume numbers show, but it, there's also some facets to this receiving group that it's like, can we please use this these guys differently? Can we yes. stop? Can we stop using Stephon Diggs? At, I, th- I can't remember who said it, but someone said it perfectly. Can we stop using Stephon Diggs as Deshaun Jackson because he can right. do so much more than just you know? Well, it was but last year Stephon Diggs was used as like Percy Harvin, you know, where it was like the gadget yeah. plays, the reverses. Um, all that type of thing, like Tavon Austin almost. And then now this year it's complete opposite where it's, he's basically only running 40 yards downfield. And so the thing is he should be used, you know, like Antonio Brown, like, like someone that could do everything because he can do everything. And I'm hoping Gary Kubiak maybe notices that takes advantage of it because if you pair a guy like that with someone like Thielen, who can be the big slot guy and take anybody in the slot when healthy, obviously, that's a great combination to have. Um, you know, the, really the big concern I have with this group is just that third receiver spot. Uh, um, can BC develop it up? I, he's not like terribly quick or anything. Uh, so he's going to have to be pretty savvy about get, finding open spots and pretty, two, te- pretty technical about his routes as well. You got the so, right guys to work with for that. Yeah, for sure. Off-season. For sure. For sure. So it's not, I'm not saying he, you know, he definitely deserves more than a fair shot at that third receiver spot going into 2020. But I, think it's also worth the you know i like you like to use the word behoove i think it would be <laughs> it would behoove the vikings to uh explore third receiver options in free agency heading into 2020 as well especially because behind bc you've got treadwell who i mean he wasn't supposed to be on the team this year so yeah, um, yeah chad B, who was actually like the third guy coming out of camp i believe or into the yeah. into the regular season and i think he got hurt early on so bc was kind of then thrust think, into the role but i think he might have missed his chance i think bb might i think that might be it for yeah. him he had that fun 60 yard catch against the packers week two yeah where kirk like fell down and threw it to him for a long game but that was fun while it lasted so you look at this group as a whole and there there are pieces to it that are you know exciting and then there are pieces to it where it's not fulfilling the expectations that you would have hoped. And really, this is more or less, this is a health issue. These numbers look so much different if Adam Thielen is healthy for five more games. because Just the, the target spread, um, the style in which these guys are being used, really detracting him from this offense this year changed so much that I don't even expect the, the passing concepts to look similar yeah. next year. Well, uh, the problem I had was that when Thielen was out, they didn't like they didn't make the effort to get Diggs more involved. It was just kind of keep Diggs in his same role, 
and we're gonna you know use bc as more your under not underneath guy but kind of your intermediate guy you know right. Diggs didn't seem to have much of a role or much of a presence in that intermediate side of the field and he'd have games with you know less than five targets when Thielen was out which is to me inexcusable uh so uh you know when those guys are healthy obviously best duo in the league uh you're gonna see higher volume numbers when that happens that's just natural sure. but um I do think a lot of this too is just when Thielen was out you know they actually did have a stretch there where they're kind of winning games just by you know they ran the ball a ton with Dalvin Cook and they're successful at it and then they were ahead in those games and so they just didn't throw it as much that's why Kirk's numbers are also down in terms of volume as well so uh I mean, Diggs and Thielen are still studs. They're still elite yep. route runners. Uh, they're still elite at the you know contested catch game. Uh, and then from there, you have two tight ends. One is reliable, not as quick, but very reliable. He won't drop any passes. He'll get open uh, third down and in the red zone. Irv Smith is very athletic. Uh, he showed that this year that he's got you know really good athleticism for a tight end and can almost play that receiver like Jimmy Graham type role where he can go out wide and stuff. You can see that a lot. Um, and I was also impressed with his blocking too. So those that's four weapons that are very good and you can certainly build an offense around. For sure. The next thing is just solidifying that third spot, whether it's BC Johnson or whether it's somebody else. So the last piece of this offense that we have to go over, unfortunately, is the offensive line. <laughs> Front five. So really, so to date, we've we've gone through Cousins, the running back group, the receiving group, the tight end group. I don't see any major changes that needs to that need to happen between those guys going into next year. I mean, overall, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my evaluation of that, those you know six players or whatever, seven players. It's just a matter of how much better can these guys be with consistency within this offensive scheme. You know, you you know that you're getting that because Kubiak has stepped into that OC role, and we'll touch on that in a second here. But the offensive line somehow needs to improve, and that's really that's really the only piece of this offense. I mean, you can add in different wide receiver three if you want and just bump BC down to number four, and then you have a more complete group, I suppose. But for the most part, all the biggest changes that you can make to this team offensively heading into next year is just you got to find a way to upgrade the offensive line. And how are you going to do that? So you got Brian O'Neill here who allowed one his first career sack. I believe that was the only sack they allowed the entire year. And there was actually – you know, you can make an argument that it wasn't even, you know, should have been put on him. So he has an outstanding year at right tackle. You've got Riley Reef, who has basically in, you know, it's kind of a, this season was sort of a microcosm of his entire career with the Vikings. He was a bit of a roller coaster. He had games where he locked it down, looked exceptional. Um, didn't even know he was there, which is a good thing for a left tackle. And then you have games where he is, you know, flopping all over the place, just trying to get in front of Cameron Jordan, and it doesn't look good. Right. So you've got those are your bookends. And realistically, those are probably going to be your bookends heading into next year. And I don't really think that a rookie can improve the tackle position on the left side, at least. Um, Anyways, so the main pieces here that you got to deal with is Bradbury, who had spurts where he looked very good. And then he had spurts where he was literally quite literally the worst center in the NFL. You've got Josh Klein, who was a plug and play exactly what we thought we were going to get out of free agency. Filled in, very average performance. Wasn't, you know, wasn't changing the game by any means, but was doing his job. And you've got Elfline, who, to me, is the weakest link, unfortunately. So, which, when we talked about this before, but like if, you know, the whole weakest link thing at left guard, you can't, you can get away with that, right? But 
Uh, Unless I think the that, interior pressure is too much, like as well, you know, if you ha- wanna, or you have a quarterback that's not great at moving around in the pocket, which if you want to beat San Francisco next year, you're going to need some help in that specific. Yeah. So instead of evaluating these, because we, we're a little short on time, so instead of evaluating them individually, you know, I think I think it's fair to say that Elfline is probably the the piece that you might look to to. To change well, I think here. contract contract wise, I think Reef is easily expendable at this point. Okay, so you've got those so that, two. You've got those want. two pieces here. Are are you willing to give up on Pat Offline? Did he not show you enough this year to suggest that he's an NFL player? I think you find a guy and kind of do a position battle in camp next year with him. Keep I mean, him on his. You know, keep him. Uh, you know, he needs he needs to kind of be pushed a little bit in, in camp. I think like make, don't just give him that starting job. Is what I'm saying. Okay, so see, I, I I'm a big fan of Pat Alfine, the human being, but I think he's living literally on pedigree at this point. The fact that he came from Ohio State, the fact that he's a mid-round pick, um, those things are lending to the fact that he's not already cut. If the, if he's a sixth-round pick from Colorado State, he's gone a year ago. You know, the fact that he is from OSU and had such a storied career there um, comes out as you know, I believe was third-round pick. Um, mm-hmm. Early third round, I think. Yeah, he's an important cog in this, you know, what we thought was going to be for for a long time. He just simply hasn't panned out that way. I I really do think that that injury during his rookie year might have changed a lot of things for him uh, just because he wasn't able to bulk up during going into his second year. Uh, But this unit as a whole, it needs to – you need to find a way for it to be better because if you can't do that, this offense can't – like this is the peak if the offensive line can't improve. Yeah. And you can't ask for any more from Brian O'Neill. He gave you everything and more than you could have ever expected from him as a second. You also pick can't ask paper. more from the coaching staff and kind of hiding it as well. I, th- right. I think the, what what they did with all the bootlegs and the play action and moving the line away from Kirk and stuff like that hit a lot of the weakness as well. And I, th- I don't know if, again who I don't know what the offense is going to look like with Stefanski gone. Maybe that'll still be there. Maybe it won't. But that's certainly a concern I have. Is that offense regresses just because that element of the offense may or may not be gone with Stefanski leaving for Cleveland. There, on, on the flip side of that, it could be you know potentially even better when it's the teacher calling the shots as opposed to You're right. uh, the mentee, You're right. I suppose, in Stefanski. So um, it's, an inter- it's an interesting position the Vikings are in, but I, I think that off you know offensively speaking, a lot of the pieces you want in place are there. You've got all the pieces in terms certainly of skill, at the skill positions. positions. Certainly at the skill positions, yeah, absolutely. And you feel good about your quarterback. You should feel good. Um, you know, I think BJ says you should feel good about your quarterback. <laughs> okay. Um, and then you've got the offensive line, which I, like all of you guys, do not feel terribly great about and would like to see some sort of improvements there. But that's really the only part of the offense that I don't feel good about. The rest of it, I'm pretty confident moving forward. I expect that Garrett Bradbury is going to put on some weight this year, and that's going to allow him to put that, you know, stick that foot in the ground and be able to you know, fight back against these defensive tackles that were bullying him all year. I expect that to change just naturally as a progression from rookie to sophomore as a, quote, undersized interior offensive lineman. So I think he's fixable. Then you've got Elfline, who, uh, you know, I'll reiterate once again, I'm not sure that he's the guy. I'm with you, Drew. I think that putting him in a camp battle with maybe a second or third round pick is probably for the best, or maybe getting Drew Samia. Um, I don't even know if I'm pr- pronouncing his last name right because I didn't hear it all year. But, um, that's the situation that you ha- that you're standing with on offense. I, I really don't think this is the side of the ball that needs a whole lot of help, um, and we'll get more into that next week. And the side of the ball that does need you know a little bit more help. Um, 
But let's spend the last 10 minutes here talking about these new coaches because this will change a lot of what's going on offensively because these changes are fairly significant, um, mm-hmm. especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we mentioned Kubiak already. Um, he is he, he is retaining his title of assistant head coach, but he will be working as the offensive coordinator, meaning he will be calling the shots moving forward. He'll be leading the practices. Um, he has a long, long history, which you guys already know. Successful in Denver, won a Super Bowl. Um, very successful in Baltimore as well, Houston. Um, everything about his scheme has worked. Pretty, pretty much everywhere he's gone, it's, he's, he's found a way to have some success. So that's not a huge change. You just are replacing, you know, like I said before, the teacher with the student, basically, with Stefanski moving to Cleveland. The other change on the offensive staff is that you promote, well, I guess it's kind of a lateral move. Uh, you move Andrew Jonico to your wide receiver coach, which is an interesting move. And, you know, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so just to give you a briefer on him, uh, he just finished his fifth season in the NFL. I'm literally taking this off the Vikings website. This is not my knowledge by any means. But he was a wide receivers coach, or excuse me, an offensive line coach before he becomes the, before he becomes the wide receivers coach. That's that's his background, which worries me. And I think I'm right to worry about that a little bit. Well, I mean, we who are we to know what the interactions are like at the facility, at, during practice, all that stuff? Um, I don't know him personally. I don't know what his right, right. all of his responsibilities actually are. Obviously, by title, we know that you know he was handling the offensive line. And so uh, without any further knowledge of anything going on inside, yeah, that's a little bit weird. And it's... It's raising an eyebrow for sure, but um, I guess I have no reason to doubt the decision necessarily until I see something that's you know concerning in training camp or something. But we have a long ways, and I'm not I'm not going to worry about it until then because I, I, I imagine you know if we're going to the continuity piece we talk about all the time, like you you at least move a guy there from inside, you know an inside coaching hire already, like you know that's I suppose okay with me. It's it's interesting, but the one thing that I will say, I don't know a whole lot about Andrew Janico, but the one thing I will say about coaches and just from being in this industry for you know five years or so, um, I, I, under, I have a good understanding of how these coaching moves tend to happen at a lower level. So, you know, for example, one of my buddies has bounced around from being a quarterback's coach to a defensive back's coach. Like, you don't necessarily need – I mean, it's, it certainly helps, but you don't necessarily need to have experience at a, with a specific position group to coach another one because they all are conflicting, right? Like, if you mm-hmm. coached offensive linemen, obviously you know the playbook for offensive linemen a lot better. It's going to take him hours and hours to study up the, you know, the route combinations that Kubiak likes to use, coach him up on those ways. But you have an understanding already of how to manage each position. You just have more experience with a different group. So – while that is, I, I do think it's interesting, and I think there's reason for some of you guys to kind of look at this within it, like, you know, kind of a skeptical eye. But at the same time, maybe wide rec- maybe offensive line wasn't, like, his position group of choice, and it was just the spot that was open, and he's talented at a lot of different position groups. That could very much be the case for Mr. Jonico here, and we will see this, you know, in training camp mm-hmm. and leading up to the season. But really the biggest moves – that we saw on the coach staff happened on the, the defensive side of the ball with the departure of George Edwards opening up the defensive corner spot and the departure of Jerry Gray opening up the defensive uh, back spot. Uh, what Jerry made... Gray, by the way, was hired by the Packers. To come oh, officially? Secondary. That happened? So, yeah. Okay. So that sucks. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't, I don't like that. 
Yeah, not happy about that either. Uh, so defensive coordinator now, this is very strange to me. I, I don't have a problem with it. I just haven't seen this before. You've got co-defensive coordinators, and neither of them are going to be calling plays. And that is Andre Patterson, the former defensive line coach, who has been exceptional at developing talent. You know, Daniil Hunter being kind of his prodigy, his star. But you can look back on Everson Griffin as well and the development that he's had since Zimmer's been around and a number of other guys as well. Uh, To me, he was the obvious hire at defensive coordinator if you're going to promote from within. But then you also promote Adam Zimmer from the linebackers coach. And now he's the co-defensive coordinator too, which is – he has he does not have the pedigree that Mr. Patterson does. And I think this is very interesting because, first of all, I have, like I said, I haven't seen this before. But second of all, why? Is this just, is this just a title change? Is this just a matter of we're going to change your title so we can raise your paycheck? Or is this literally like we're going to have two guys in the room scheming up defense? Because that doesn't sound – you got three guys in there now because you know, ultimately this is Mike Zimmer's toy. So you got three right. guys well, in the room. Yeah, I – I think it's what you said the first time. I think it's just, I think a lot of it is just giving those guys, you know, the pay raise, the title of defensive coordinator more so than the added responsibility. Not that they won't have added responsibilities, but uh, I think, you know, they're going to have more of a voice in the game plan and everything. But again, like you said, this all comes down to Mike Zimmer and what he wants to do. Right. Uh, So what we'll have to notice then moving forward is the, the performance, the uh, evaluation, and the uh, development of you know your defensive line players and your linebackers. If that changes or what changes there with you know those guys being promoted. So uh, in terms of you know the actual defense, the game planning, I don't think anything will really change because it's still Mike Zimmer. That's kind of where I'm leaning to. So this kind of just feels like a weird. Uh, to me, this is a it's a combination of two things. One, you're promoting. Um, Patterson because he deserves it straight up like that it's just it's literally that simple like he deserves it he has earned this this role but at the same what what makes it in what makes it weird is that you're going to promote Adam Zimmer too which there's a hint of nepotism there and this isn't to say that Adam Zimmer is not a great linebackers coach I mean obviously you're getting a hell of a lot out of Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr throughout their tenures here. And Ben Gideon has been nice as well. And then you can look at the emergence of Eric Wilson. I mean, there's a lot of nice things to point to with Adam Zimmer's job here, but how much of that is Mike Zimmer? We don't know the answer to that question. But well, it could be the same thing could be said about Patterson too. Like, I it, suppose that's, that's... We don't know how much Zimmer is working one-on-one with these guys. I know his background in the past has been defensive backs. And so right. maybe that's more, you know, working with Harrison Smith and Harris and uh, Xavier Rhodes during his couple of, you know, his prime years i suppose uh you know trey wayne's like those guys uh just by you know over if you're looking at it from broad you know back perspective like that's what i would think is that those guys both patterson and zimmer and adam zimmer are kind of developing the linebacker and the defensive line position while mike zimmer is t- is has paid more attention to dbs because he knows that but i we don't know everything that goes on and you know, in the meetings and whatnot. So this will be uh, this will be an interesting thing to watch develop once they get back on the field. I just want to see how this looks, honestly, because yeah. I, I'm I, I do lean that this is ultimately just a title change that these guys because I really don't still, think we'll see much change. I don't. I I I think the everything will not everything will see the same, but everything largely will be similar. Uh, the only thing you know I'm interested in seeing is how. 
that DBs develop now with Greg on. Right. You know, because so that brings us to our last coach here. Right. Durante yeah. Jones is the last guy, and then we'll wrap up the show here. Uh, Durante Jones, to give you a little background on him, uh, he's in his fifth season in the NFL. He spent uh, the previous four seasons, two with Cincinnati. I assume that's where um, Mike Zimmer got a lot of his intel on this hire, and then two with Miami, coaching Xavier Howard, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick before he was traded. So there are there are things to point to with uh, Mr. Jones here that suggests that he knows what he's talking about based off the, the performance of the play, you know, the high caliber talent that he's coached. And he also, as I just found out, is a former Michigan State defensive back. So he can actually relate to these players in a sense that he has literally played um, the position before or the positions uh, before. I tend to like this hire. I don't, I, I, you've got the, you've got some common ground with Mike Zimmer in terms of overlapping schemes on defense, so he kind of has a leg up walking into this role. And then I was actually pretty impressed with Miami this year. They were giving nothing by their GM, and he comes in. Uh, well, Brian Flores really deserves all of the praise here, but all those coaches down there, for the most part, they were given very little to work with, and they were competitive basically every week after week, like, what, six? So I like this hire. I think this is a good replacement for Jerry Gray. Yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, and well, we won't know for sure again until things take place in in the fall. But like, uh, it it's twofold because the quarterback position really took a step back this year, obviously. But you know how much of Anthony Harris turning into a superstar was Jerry Gray? Uh, how much obviously has Harrison Smith's continued excellence been? You know Jerry Gray. So we don't know that. Uh, and you know I, I again I. I'm with you that on paper this hire looks good and it's, it looks like a fine replacement, um, more than fine replacement. But it's, there's just that continuity of that working relationship that we don't know uh, how much that meant to these guys, especially those safeties and how they developed. But I do think the maybe a refresh, at least in terms of the cornerbacks, might be uh, a good thing. And he, I mean, you probably are going to get a refresh within that group. I mean, Wayne's might be gone. Rhodes is most certainly going yeah, to be a true. cap casualty. Alexander could leave as well. I mean, this might be the right time to get a new defensive backs coach because of the direction the team as a whole is heading. Again, like you said, a lot of this remains to be seen, but um, that is your basic overview of the new coaching staff here. Um, fortunately, I don't, I'm with you. I don't see a whole lot of change either, and a lot of that is just because you're promoting from within, and that's what good teams tend to do. So um, any final thoughts before we wrap up the show here? No, I uh, – yeah, I mean – this this team is it's 2020 could go any direction honestly so yeah we'll have all, we'll have you know how many months to discuss it and then uh, chances are it'll probably blow up in our face when the season comes but yep. who knows that's about par for the course so um, as always thank you for listening um, you can find the show on Daily Norseman use that comment section below love to read your thoughts uh, you can subscribe on iTunes Stitcher Google Play. Uh, pretty much everywhere except for Spotify. If you want to watch us talk, you can go on YouTube and watch us there. Um, I think that – oh, yeah, listen to listen to the Climbing the Pocket Network. If you're not paying attention to the other shows, uh, go ahead and do that. They do all do a great job with their own individual analyses. Uh, and, yeah, we'll be back next Wednesday breaking down the defensive side of the football. And after that, we'll have to figure out what we're going to do for the remainder of the offseason. Uh, which will get interesting and I'm sure will be plenty of fun. So uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening as always. And we hope you continue to listen moving forward and uh, we will catch you guys next week.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 